0: Luke chapter 2, 1 to 21. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And so will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered that the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb.
1: Well, thanks to everyone who has uh, contributed so far to our our service today. And um, what I'd like to do from this passage that we've had read by Libby and Leo Uh, speak to you uh, on the the subject of treasuring and pondering the birth of Christ. That should come up on the the slide, just to keep that point in your mind. Now that, of course, comes from um, something that was said about Mary uh, in her passage. It's down there at verse number 19, where it says, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Now, I reckon that this might well have been the most straightforward of all the interviews that Luke had to conduct as far as his research for his gospel is concerned. You remember, if you go back right to the very introduction, in chapter 1, he's writing for his friend, Theophilus, and he's saying, you know, I've, I've carefully researched it. I've looked into things. And, of course, that would have involved him um, meeting with a whole variety of people who were the eyewitnesses of them. And, uh, I mean, everybody knew where, where Mary lived. I mean, we're told where Mary lived. I mean, if you remember the account of the crucifixion as Christ is upon the cross, he actually speaks to Mary... And he says, Behold your son. He's not referring fundamentally to himself. He's looking at John, the apostle, at the time. And then he says to John, Behold your mother. And from that time, John takes Mary, and she lives in his house. And so Luke would have had no problem in setting up this interview with Mary. I don't know how long it would have taken, maybe an hour or two, maybe came with his uh, his notebook with a few questions, put down in advance, things that he wanted set straight. And on the basis of what he was told, we have the account here in front of us that Mary gave this. And she would have been a lot easier to have tracked down than maybe some of the shepherds, you know, or, or maybe Simeon or, or, or some of the other people that we read about in the first few chapters. And so they sit down, and she, and she remembers. She remembers the details of the, of the birth of Christ, of that first night um, in Bethlehem. And of course, all you mums out there, uh, you know that you don't forget these things. I mean, even some of the dads uh, don't forget uh, the birth. I can well remember for It was 35 years ago, just about, when our firstborn came along. And I can remember stopping on her a couple of times in Anderson Drive, you know, before we actually got to the maternity hospital to rub rub her back, you know, just to make things a wee bit more comfortable. Uh, But Mary was remembering in a different way. It wasn't just that. It wasn't just those memories that so many of us will share about the birth of children. When she treasured up all these things in her heart and when she pondered them, it was all the things that had been said by everybody. For instance, the the, the shepherds that she mentions here for Luke to put into his account. The fact that the shepherds had told them when they came about the, the angel that had appeared, about the light that had shone and then how shortly afterwards there had been the whole multitude of angels that had lit up the sky and had sung praises uh, to God and how they had been told that on this very day in Bethlehem the Saviour was to be born and he himself is, is Christ the Lord. And all of that had tallied exactly with what she had been informed by Gabriel what Elizabeth, her relative, had also said, what others were going to say, people like um, Simeon and like Anna that um, are, are mentioned further down in the passage here, she treasured all of these things that were said to her, the whole variety of things about the uniqueness of this child. It was special. It was It was precious that her child had been conceived miraculously and was none other than God himself who was now manifest in flesh. Christ the Lord, the Savior of the world, the mediator between God and men, the bridge between this world and that other world, And that is the whole point of God becoming flesh. That he puts his hand, as it were, upon humanity. And he puts his hand on divinity, being both God and man. And he can reconcile together because there is one God and there is one mediator, one bridge between God and man, himself the man Christ Jesus. And this word about treasuring, it is such a relevant word, and it's such a challenging word, I think, for, for all of us to think about this morning. To, to treasure Christ. To look upon Christ as, as being precious and, and worthy and, and of value. It runs entirely throughout the rest of the Bible, actually, from this point on. You think of of the great Apostle Paul. In Philippians chapter 3, he he recounts all his pedigree and his background. You know, this is what I was. I had all these attainments. But whatever these things seemed to be at one time, now, now I consider them absolutely nothing so that I might have Christ instead. He is the greatest treasure, more valuable than all these things that I once held dear. You think of Peter, and he says this in his letter, that big fisherman. He said, you know, we were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold from our empty way of life. We were redeemed with what? The precious, the precious blood of Christ. And to us who believe, that's what he is. He he is precious. That, you know, is the song in heaven. At this moment, Christ alive, seated enthroned in heaven. And the choirs of heaven sing a particular refrain. And it is a refrain of his worth. Worthiness. Worthy is the Lamb. That's where the idea of worship comes from worthship. And they talk about his value, the worth of Christ who was slain. And so we think about ourselves. Are we really like the person that Christ mentioned in his parable, stumbling one day through the fields? suddenly realizing that there was something they hadn't realized before and it's a box of treasure and what he does is he sells everything that he has so that he might have this one thing of greatest value i mean that that is really where mary is this morning she, this is the greatest thing for her. This is the treasure that is in her heart. I mean, she is a little bit like Mary of Bethany, and so should all of, of we be like Mary, who takes what has been most precious, that box of ointment, that heirloom, passed down, no doubt, throughout the generations in her family, and she breaks it and anoints Christ with it, because he is worth that. She looked upon him as being as being so precious. What was it that one of our old well-loved hymns says? When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so, de- so divine, it demands my, my heart and my life and my all. Now, there are a couple of things, I think in particular, in this passage that Mary held particularly precious and treasured in her heart. The first one of them to take I suppose from from verse 1, is the idea of the decree. A decree in those days went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be registered. There he is, the greatest man in the world at that point, the most powerful man sitting in Rome, the heart of the empire. I don't know if there was much democracy or not at that particular time, whether the Roman Senate had much of a say in it, whether all these men in togas uh, had to cast their vote for this whole idea of taxation and registration, or whether it was just the say-so of the emperor. But whatever the edict is entered into Roman law and it's passed, And that message goes out to all the Roman Empire, the then-known world, that everyone has to be registered. Taxation. The public services couldn't have been too good. The schools are failing. The health service is collapsing. It's probably something to do with the Roman wars, but they need more tax anyway. They've introduced a new tax bracket. And, And here we go. Everybody has to fall in line. There are no excuses. Nobody can opt out. It is to be enforced. Everybody has to go to the city of their birth. A decree. But you know, I think as, as this is being pondered, you know, they think about the fact that, you know, that he's just a part of a far bigger decree. A far bigger purpose that is being laid out here. I mean, this is not random. This is not just something isolated. She's not thinking of the decree of Caesar Augustus. And neither neither really should we. We are thinking about God's decree. The decree that a Savior is going to come. And that He will arrive at this particular time in history. And in this particular village. That has been decreed. Let me remind you of how the book of Galatians puts it. It says this, that when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. This was the moment that God had decreed that the Savior should arrive. If you're in any doubt about this whole idea of the purposes of God or His decrees, uh, maybe if you've got a little bit of time over in the next week or so, start to read the book of Daniel. And you'll, you'll notice that the word decree comes up quite a lot. It visualizes for us that the court of heaven sits. It's in session. And the Ancient of Days, God himself, presides over the session. And there are hosts, multitudes, that sit before him, because he is the Lord of hosts. And decrees are made about individuals. You read about Nebuchadnezzar the king. And you read about empires that are set up and are brought down. And it all happens at the decree of God. And even in these chapters in Daniel, there's a decree about one who is the Son of Man, who will one day step onto the stage of history to be the Redeemer of the world. All of that is decreed. by, And that's what puts Christmas into perspective. This is the the greatest thing of all. That God himself, in the person of his son, restricts himself to being a babe at this time. But to ultimately be the saviour of the world through his death upon the cross of Calvary. Bethlehem is mentioned here. We, We had that read. The prophecy of Micah predicted that. Bethlehem. The city of David, where David came from, where David played in its streets as a boy. The royal town, and Christ is, is high royalty. The other name for Bethlehem, the translation of it, is the house of bread. This was the place where the bread of heaven would come down to. Bread. Bread. I am the bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of me, they will never hunger. Not talking about the effect of taking physical bread, but the effect of receiving Christ himself spiritually by faith into our hearts. Bethlehem. The place where the story of Ruth played out in the Old Testament. Poverty loss, bereavement, and how into that story is interwoven the tremendous concept of somebody who is a redeemer, a redeemer, who is a near relative, but who also is a mighty redeemer. And And that is extrapolated, and all these things come together in the purposes of God in the decree of God, to this moment when Christ is born of Mary in Bethlehem. And for this sinful world of ours, thank God that it has not been left to go on in its corruption, to implode, but He enters to bring salvation. And Christ came to do His Father's will, which involved his death upon the cross. And it's worth pondering all of that. It's worth pondering and thinking deeply about these things. I mean, that's what pondering is, isn't it? It's not just a quick flick through my mind of something. It's to seriously think. It's to consider. It's to think deeply about something, and she she pondered the meaning of all of this, the significance of it. What was it all about? How did it apply to her? How does it apply to us? His incarnation, his life, his death, and resurrection, and ascension, and his glorification, and his coming again— that's all the purposes of God. Everything is all headed up, if you like, in Christ. That focuses on Christ. The focal point of the purposes of God. The second and last thing. I think that she treasured and uh, pondered. Not just the idea of the decree. But what struck me was the, the whole idea of, of glory. Glory the glory of the event. You'll see down there in verse number 9, when the angel appeared to the shepherds, the, the glory of the Lord shone around them. There, there were two responses to that. First one was fear. In fact, it says there was great fear. You know, this light. But I think it was more than that. This this idea of the presence of God, of 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 purity, um, of of greatness, all of that impressed itself upon these men in the fields, and and there was a real sense of fear in their hearts. You know, when they hear about the Bible, there's there's no sniggering, you know, there's no smirking. When the presence of God is is apparent, there there actually is fear when we realize his greatness and our smallness. I remember reading about another interview. Um, Billy Graham, the evangelist, was actually interviewed by, would you believe it, Muhammad Ali on one occasion. And he wrote afterwards, Ali did, he felt dirty listening to him. Strange, you know, a man of God. And he felt dirty in his prayer. How much more in the presence of Christ, the great God of heaven? Fear, but that, you know that that's not meant to be the fundamental reaction. Actually, on this occasion, the real one is meant to be joy. You know, they they, they are to rejoice in this, and it's not just again joy; it's great joy in the way that it was great fear the best of news, glad tidings of, of great joy for all the people because it's a saviour that's been born today. I mean, what, what better news, what better adjective could be used to describe news? It's not bad news. It's not fake news. It's, it's, it's great news that should give joy to every heart you know they, they they could well have misunderstood this when the word savior is used i mean did that mean some sort of political deliverer some sort of deliverance from their oppression and the economic mess and all no 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 it's not it's salvation from from sin that's the kind of savior that that gives joy in people's hearts now let's just Pause here for a minute again and remind ourselves of some of the very the very basics. what is sin? Sin is the breaking of god 's law. Remind us will you say, remind us about god 's law god 's standards we could We could read from the passage in Exodus. It still applies about not stealing, about not using God's name, Christ's name, in vain, in blasphemy, about honoring our parents, our fathers and mothers, of not bearing false witness, of, of not coveting things that are not ours. Of not committing adultery, which is a, wide, a wider word than, than we even understand it, usually. And, 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 and so on. That's what sin is. It's, it's not coming up to God's standards. And, and sin is more than that, actually. Sin has to, these are just the symptoms. The root matter, the root cause, the principle, if you like, is, is a curse that is imposed upon us. It's the curse of our heart, the tendency of our heart to live for self and not to honour God. And it affects all of humanity. And, and that's, that's the significance of the glory, of the great joy, that there's a saviour for sinners like you and me, that our sins can be dealt with through Christ's, Death upon the cross. When he pays all that we one day will have to pay. If we don't get that sin question sorted out. One of the things that really impressed me. Probably the verse that impressed me most. As I was reading uh, down this passage. Was verse 15. And all it says is. When the angels went away from them into heaven. Now, the the reason that impressed me is that's where they came from. They gave their message and they went back to the world of bliss, the perfect world. And the contrast couldn't be starker. The king of the angels does not go away back home with them. He doesn't return to heaven on that day. He's left. They go. He's left in this contracted form as a, as a small baby lying in a manger, left in hostile territory, left, left in this polluted, sinful, corrupt world of sin to follow through and become the Lamb of God who will bear away the sin of the world one day. He knows about that. For a little while he's going to become lower than the angels for the suffering of death. And he he remains. Thank God he didn't go back. Thank God he remained and he finished the work that he came to do. It's finished upon the cross. I've done it. It's completed. The redemption that can be offered to sinful people. Well, maybe luke shut his book at this point that's all the questions i had really for you mary maybe maybe they went through a few cups of tea and maybe uh it was two hours rather than the one that he'd anticipated as far as the interview was concerned i think their faces must have shone with all those memories mary's in particular it's good good to ponder it's good to ponder but it's not enough to ponder we have to act, you know, on the things that we think about. What was it that E.E. Milne put in that, the, the words of that little bear about, you know, sometimes I, I sit and think and sometimes I just sit. You know, And a, maybe a lot of us are like that at times. It's good to ponder, but it's not enough to ponder. We, we have to act on, on all of this. And the way that we have to act this morning, fundamentally, in the way that Christ himself taught it, is to repent and believe the gospel. To change. To turn. To change our attitude and our way of life. To turn to him in faith. It is to to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. To ask him to save me. It is to fall on our knees before Christ and worship him. To to adore him who is Christ the Lord. Mary treasured up all these things. She pondered them in her heart. And so should we. But we should do more than that. We should react as well. May God bless his word. Shall we pray? And then we will sing our final hymn. Lord, how grateful we are that the Savior came. How grateful we are for this wonderful message to be announced once more today, to ponder these things and to hopefully treasure them, to treasure Christ himself, the greatest treasure of all. Lord, help us not to just leave all of these things hanging as it is in the air, but to take them to ourselves, to go the next step, to react and to respond appropriately. So, Lord, we commit your word, your Son, who has been presented to all our hearts. May this time of the year, this wonderful time of the year, with all its sense of glory and awe and wonder, impress itself upon us as never before as we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.